The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let's pray. Fathers, we open your word now to hear from you in the pages of Scripture. I pray that you'll incline our hearts to it. It'll be like a, a magnet, Lord, that draws us in. Open our eyes and open our ears, open our hearts, Lord, to receive your word as the living truth, as holy, inerrant truth from you. Unite our hearts and our minds, Lord, so that we are not distracted, but we are focused in this time. Lord, there's so many things that we can be thinking about in this time, but these are, these are heavy things, Lord. Things that will not come naturally to the human mind. So, Lord, I'm praying that you would unite our minds and our hearts so that we can grasp these things and by the power of your Spirit, give us sight to them and satisfy us right now. Give us refuge in you and cause us to rejoice in our hearts because of the truth of your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn in your copy of God's holy and perfect word to John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. What is the purpose of life? It's hard to overstate the significance of that question. That's a really big question that everyone has to think about at some point in their life. What is the purpose of life? My life, your life, anyone's life. Another way to ask is, why do you exist? Fundamentally, why do you exist? There are lots of answers that come to mind perhaps, but what I'm really asking is this, what's the main purpose of your life? The primary purpose for your existence and everyone else's. I mean, if you boil down all of life and all of its aspects... Family, job, friendships, relationships, sufferings, recreation, politics, science, history. If you boil it all down, what's the purpose of it all? That's the subject matter of our text of study this morning in John chapter 11. We're in a series studying the I am sayings of Jesus where he explicitly tells us who he is. If you're visiting with us the last few weeks when we've been in this series of I Am Sayings, you should know that we've taken a break from our normal verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians. And so when we finish our series of I Am Sayings, we will be going back to verse-by-verse through the book of Philippians. But today we'll hear another I Am Saying from Jesus, and it comes in the middle of a well-known story. Perhaps you've heard it, the story of Jesus raising a man named Lazarus from the dead. And we're going to work through this story in five sections, which gives us five truths to see from this story. And it's all going to help us answer the fundamental question, what is the purpose for life? Look with me at the first four verses of John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, 
He whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. In the first four verses of this chapter, we're introduced to the characters of the story and the problem of the story. The character, characters we see are, are three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, all of whom have prior relationships with Jesus, all of whom are very close to him in very personal ways. They, they, are, they are close friends. The problem is Lazarus is sick, and it's not just a minor sickness, but a severe sickness, so much so that the sisters send word Jesus and say Lazarus is on his deathbed. In verse 4, maybe the most important verse in the entire chapter. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. How do it make you feel for an illness, a deadly illness, to come upon you to be used for the glory of God? This story is not primarily about Lazarus being raised from the dead. This story is ultimately about God receiving glory. If you hear of someone coming back to life, that's going to be the focal point. I mean, that steals all the headlines. If that were to happen today, it would take the breaking news on every news channel. Breaking news, man comes back to life. And that's why this story is so popular. Many have heard the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And it's a big deal. I mean, it's not often that someone's raised from the dead. It is a big deal. And Jesus says this story is not primarily about someone being raised to life. So what could be so important that it would trump, it would take the headline of someone being raised to life? Jesus says this story is about God receiving glory. It says in verse 4, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. How would you feel? How do you feel that a sickness in your life, an illness in your life would be used, even if it's on your deathbed sickness, would be used for the glory of God? This illness does not lead to death. This illness is not for the glory. This illness is for the glory of God. This illness is so the Son of Man can be glorified. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, everyone else is focused on the illness and death of Lazarus. But in Lazarus' most desperate hour, Jesus is focused on the glory of God. And this is the first principle we learn from this story. If you're taking notes, first. Your life is not ultimately about you, but about Jesus receiving glory in you. Your life is not ultimately about you, but about Jesus receiving glory in you. And the sooner we grasp that truth, the sooner we'll make sense of life. And life is not about you. Life is not about me. Life is about Jesus receiving glory in you. That's what life's about. That's why things happen in life. So that God would receive glory. The glory of God is the ultimate theme throughout Scripture. There 
is no higher theme. This sermon will not be able to be strong enough to grasp and to carry the content of its message, the glory of God. It's what God cares about most. It's what you were made for. It's the end of all things. God's glory is the preeminent truth throughout all Scripture, throughout all of life. It's the highest of highs, and it's the foundation of foundations. Nothing can top it, and nothing can undercut it. Listen to Psalm 5711. This is all throughout Scripture, but, but just listen to a few. Psalm 57, 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Psalm 72, 18 and 19. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The peak of God's story in Scripture is seen in his son, Jesus Christ. And listen to John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory... Glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus says, Lazarus is on his deathbed, and he says, this illness is for the glory of God. Your life and all that happens in it is to be for the glory of God. Of God, which means your life is not ultimately about you. Your life is ultimately about Jesus receiving glory in you by whatever means necessary. And we miss this. We miss this. And in rebellion against God, we hate to hear this. Because life is about us. And why do we miss this? Because we're sinners. I mean, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the, what? Glory of God. Not only does God's glory consume everything, we miss the point, and the way we miss the point in God is that we fall short of His glory. Our lives, which are meant to be consumed with God's glory, fall short because we are consumed with ourselves. We become the focus. We become the point. Law, life revolves around me. And, and so we say, this wedding is my day. This suffering is about when it's going to be over for me. This marriage is about what I can get. This job is about how I can advance. This vacation is about how I can relax. This situation is about how I can come out. This college is for what I can get. This retirement fund is about my life. This trial is about me. And we are so easily become so man-centered, do we not? And this is what the world will tell you. Life is about you. If you don't look after you, no one else will. What if life is not about us at all? I mean, churches take on this mindset too. The fundamental problem with the American church today is a belief that it's all about us. 
that it's all about people. So worship services are coordinated around what man wants instead of what honors God. Songs are crafted for the purpose of moving man emotionally instead of praising God truthfully. Preachers are put in place to entertain and to captivate hearers instead of proclaiming the whole counsel of God. The whole message of the preacher becomes focused on what God's plan for your life is instead of what God's plan is for his glory and how you can be a part of it. If you were to ask me the fundamental problem with the church today, I would say it is so man-centered. It's about what I like, what I want, what moves me. And so I'll, church, I'll search for every church in this whole nation to find those things. And the church just becomes a different pockets of different people personalities instead of all these people gathered together focusing on the person of Jesus. And can... We just wrap our minds around that life is not about us, but about God receiving glory in us. In any circumstance of life, see, most people are fine with centering themselves upon God so long as God centers himself upon me. God does not center himself upon man. God centers himself upon his glory. So whatever circumstance you find yourself in right now, refocus your perspective. Realize there's something greater happening. Realize that though you may be in the the middle of it, you are not the purpose ultimately of it. There could have been, there could not have been a more important time for Lazarus. He's on his deathbed. Yet, hear Jesus say, this illness is for the glory of God. And fill in the blank. Your job, situation, whatever it is right now, for the glory of God. Your death, your family member's death for the glory of God. This trial for the glory of God. This celebration for the glory of God. This relationship for the glory of God. What if we took every aspect of our life, plugged in the blank and said, this, whatever it is, is not for me, it's not about them, it's for God and his glory. Lazarus could not have had a more desperate time. Even in the most loving act ever given for mankind, when Jesus died on the cross, you and I were not the ultimate focus. John 12 tells Jesus, praying, leading up to his death, and he prays, listen, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Brothers and sisters, I belabor this point because it is so counterintuitive to our culture and to ourselves. We desperately need a change perspective, one that sees that you and I are never the ultimate focus. God is. Every detail, every circumstance, every encounter is your, in your life is a tool used by God to further his glory.
That is the purpose of life, to magnify and exalt the glory of God. Now, many of you may be thinking, this is head spinning because this is counterintuitive. This is not what the culture says. This is not what I'm used to. This seems cold and blunt and unloving. Is God really just using me without caring for me? Does God only care about his glory? I mean, none of us likes being used by someone else. Is that what God is doing? Just using us for the purpose of his glory and then setting us aside when he's finished? Nothing could be further from the truth. Notice I said your life is not ultimately about you. This is the second critical truth we learn from this text. First, life is not about you. It's about Jesus receiving glory in you. Second, in his love for you, Jesus will always do what's best for you. In his love for you, Jesus will always do what's best for you. Look at verse 5 and following of chapter 11. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Like, let's don't go to Judea and risk our lives if he's just taking a nap. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. In his love for you, Jesus will always do what's best for you. We know that Lazarus is ill, and we know from verse 4 that his illness is for the purpose of glorifying Jesus, but notice verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That's, that's, That's surprising to say the least. If he loved them, why wouldn't he go immediately to them? I mean, that's how our logic works, right? If something happens to our family members, tragedy strikes, we drop everything and we run to them. Jesus, we're told, hears the news and he stays right where he is for two more days. Why would he do that if he really loved them? And this is where we need to be extremely careful We get into trouble when we try to understand God according to our own logic instead of Scripture. The truths of God will not always fit neatly into your logic. Be careful of saying things like, well, that can't be true because I don't understand how it could be. Or, I would never do this, so therefore God would never do that. 
Your mind logic does not define who God is, what God is like, or what he decides to do. Scripture does that. So when we read that Jesus loved Lazarus, but he delayed two days in going to him, we must conclude Jesus was loving Lazarus most by waiting. Jesus has a greater plan. He's doing what's best for Lazarus, even when it doesn't make sense. And there will be times in your life when you will look around and you will say, where is God? Why doesn't he do something? I mean, if he really is the great healer, why won't he heal my child, heal my grandmother? Why, don't he, why, don't, why won't he do something? If he really loves me, why doesn't he take this cancer away? And it's in those times that you must remember that in his love for you, he is always doing what's best for you. Even when you don't understand and it doesn't make sense, what's best for us isn't always what we think is best for us. In full transparency, two years ago, there were days I thought, I'll never be in ministry again. There were some days I thought, I don't want to be in ministry again. And there were times I thought, God, why have you allowed all this to happen? Everything that's happened, have, have, have I wasted all these years in school, in seminary, and now to be out of the church, working in a business job where my degree doesn't really match? I've, I've just wasted all this time. And I asked the question, why? Does it make any sense? And I look back on that time now and I see that God was always doing what was best for me. Even though I didn't understand it. Even though I didn't think it was best. Even though I would have done it much differently. And some of you are in that season today and you don't understand. And if it were up to you, you'd, pit, you'd push the button and everything would change Situation, details, circumstances would all change if it were left up to you. And this is not easy to hear, but it's the medicine that you need today. In his love for you, Jesus is doing what's best for you right now. He hasn't forgotten and he hasn't said, I'll put him on the bench. He's doing exactly what's best for you. He's delaying two, two days He's delaying two years. He's delaying 10 years. And you don't see him working, but God is absolutely working because in his love for you, he'll always do what's best for you, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when you're on your deathbed. And it looks like he could come and rescue, and he doesn't. We see in this section the disciples being apprehensive about returning to Judea. Their focus isn't on Lazarus, and their focus isn't on God's glory. Their focus is on, if we go to Judea, we're going to die. They were just planning to stone you, Jesus. And Jesus is still willing to go. Because the disciples need to believe. In essence, he says, we may die, but you'll believe first, and that's more important. What's best for you isn't always safe 
or painless. Jesus is fully capable of doing what's best for his glory and best for you at the same time. He never has to pick between the two. He never picks, I'm going to do this for my glory, but it's going to be terrible for Donald. Every single plan, every single action that God has is exalting his glory while doing what's best for you to conform you to be more into the image of Christ. This is why the greatest happiness you'll find in life is a life devoted to honoring God. God created you to honor him so that when we do honor him, that's when we receive maximum joy. He's always doing what's best. Jesus is never just using you. And you say, okay, I know God's ultimate purpose for my life is to bring him glory. And I know that he's always doing what's best for me. But you know what? Sometimes that hurts. And I don't want to hurt. And I don't want to feel the pain. One of my greatest fears in life to this day is going to the dentist. I hate going to the dentist. But I know I need to go to the dentist. It's what's best for me, even though I don't like it, even though sometimes it's painful. When I was a child, receiving discipline from parents, maybe you heard, I'm doing this because I love you. Yeah, right. (laughs) Until now I'm a parent and I say that and I get it. Some of you may hear God's purpose is to maximize his glory and Jesus is doing what's best for you. And some of you are thinking, I I know that stuff's true, but man, it hurts. And I don't like it. I'd rather God receive his glory in the celebrations of my life, not the heartache. It doesn't make it any easier in the pain to say, well, this is what's really best for you. No child believes that. I mean, what what if I die in excruciating pain? This was hard for the disciples as well. Their thought was, we're going to die. If we go to Judea, it's going to happen. We're going to die. Even if we see God's glory, even if it's what's best for us, we're going to die. This is not easy. We don't like it. And this is where Jesus teaches another crucial truth. Even if you die, third, do not fear death. Jesus has power over it. Look at verse 17 of our story. Now when Jesus came, two days late, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. 
Jesus comes near Bethany. We see Martha go out to meet him. And what's the primary concern for Martha? Lord, uh, verse 21, Lord, if you would ha- have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Her concern is her brother's death. It's on her mind. In her mind, it's over. He's dead. It's final. It's, it's done. Death is the subject that brings immediate seriousness and solemnness to all of us. It's the greatest sense of finality that we can grasp as mankind. And we've all lost loved ones and the reality hits us over and over again by the fact that they are not here anymore. No matter how much we miss them. Death is so painful to us who are left because it's so jarring. It's so radical. I mean, here one day, gone the next. Not to be seen again in this life. Death is not a respecter of any man or woman. It comes for all without warning. And Martha is broken over this reality when she comes to Jesus. It says in verse 23, Jesus says to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha is thinking he's talking about the end day, like the final day of history, the end of all times when all the dead in Christ will rise She says, I I know he's going to rise again on that day, but it's so hard missing him right now. And we can understand. We can see where she's coming from. We miss loved ones, but we look forward to seeing them again one day, but it doesn't make it any easier right now. And Jesus says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe that, church? Friends, do you believe that? It is greatly encouraging to me that Jesus can speak into a subject of death that's so heavy and sobering. And he can speak into it with lightness and authority. Like it's not a big deal. Your brother will rise again. All who believe in me shall never die. Who is this man? In your life, God will exalt his glory and he will do what's best for you. And yes, that will lead to pain and suffering. Yes, that will lead to death. Perhaps even excruciating pain and death. But the good news is, you don't have to fear death because Jesus has power over it. That's what it means for Jesus to be the resurrection and the life. I mean, death for most people is an end all in their mind. But it shouldn't be. Living is not most important. These are, these are radical truths that are hard for us to grasp, but living is not most important. Death should not be our greatest fear. Missing the glory of God and wasting our life should be our greatest fear. I mean, death is just simply a transition It's a door, as we talked about last week. When we die, if we are in Christ, if we're truly trusting in Him, we die knowing the one who calls Himself the resurrection and the life. The very thing that we fear going into, as soon as we enter it, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. Rise. It's encouraging, even as we considered last week that every single loved one that you know, every loved one that died in faith in Christ is not dead right now, but alive 
with the resurrection and the life. In this moment, living life to the full with Jesus. Death is no match for Jesus because he controls it, he determines when it happens, and he gives life even when it happens. Listen, if if you have never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, the reality is, the scary reality is, when you die, you too will live, but it will not be living in the fullness and joy of Christ, but in you'll be living in the full wrath of God for your sin that you've had. Receiving God's judgment because of the rebellion that you've done against Him. But if you would turn from your sin and and turn to Christ and trust that Christ died on the cross for you and, and rose from the grave, you would be saved so that when you die, you'll live. Complete life. He is the resurrection and the life. We need to lift our eyes past earthly death. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We do not grieve as those who have no hope, and we do not fear as those who have no truth. Do you believe this? Lord, help us. These are weighty things. Some of you may be thinking, That's easier said than done. I mean, that is a hard pill to swallow. I mean, all of these truths are so countercultural. Hard shift to make. I mean, believing that life is primarily about God and not me. Believing that Jesus is doing what's best for me, even when it hurts. Believing that death is just a, a transition, not something to be feared. These are hard to wrap our minds around, much live confident, much less live confidently in. It's uneasy and it's scary. It's, it's frightening. Here's the thing. Jesus knows that. <laughs> Let truth forth from this text encourage you. Live your life to God's glory. Jesus is doing what's best for you. Do not fear death. Fourth, Jesus cares deeply for you in all of these aspects of life. Jesus cares deeply for you in all the aspects. Have you ever had a child who made a really big deal out of something really small? A child that blew something out of proportion? Or is that just my children? During the summer, we went to a water park and they gave us paper wristbands to wear to gain entrance. Delaney became particularly attached to her wristband because she loved it as a bracelet. So she kept wearing it even after we left the water park. And for weeks afterwards, she wore this. It was her bracelet. Well, one day, it a few weeks later, it, it, it got dirty or something. She had, to, she had to throw it away. So she took it off. She threw it away. She didn't really want to, but she did. And almost immediately, she regretted doing it. Like, it was the biggest deal in the world to her that she no longer had this paper bracelet around her arm. And for hours, she could not get over this. And that night, she came out of her room in tears because she no longer had her paper bracelet. Now, I'm someone who throws everything away. I keep nothing. And so, it was quite easy for me to say, Delaney, there's no need to cry over a paper bracelet. I probably could have been more compassionate than I was. I mean, she really struggled that night and The more she struggled, the more impatient I became. 
over a really small matter in my mind that was a big deal in hers. And it was easy for me to just say, look, you're going to have more bracelets. Just move on. We're not, not going to talk about this all night. It wasn't easy for her to hear, let's, let's move on. Jesus does not come to us in our struggle and say, live for my glory, I'm doing what's best for you, do not fear death, now suck it up and move on. Jesus instead cares deeply for you in all aspects of life. Look at verse 28, this is amazing. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary and saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? We see Mary approach Jesus now. She appears to be the more emotional of the two sisters. She's weeping. And what do we see Jesus do? He's moved in his spirit and he weeps with them. John 11, 35 is the shortest verse in all the Bible, but it is packed with encouragement for us today. Jesus wept. He identifies with you in all your pain and suffering. Even though he has direct control over your pain and suffering, he's deeply moved in your pain and suffering. He isn't cold and blunt and heavy-handed and direct and says, get over it. Don't you know I'm in control? Don't you know I can raise him from the dead? He doesn't say, just stop crying. He's in a better place. That's silly. Let's just move on. No, Jesus identifies and loves his people so much that he shares in their suffering. Isaiah 53 calls Jesus a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. I mean, just think of the significance. Jesus knew what he was about to do with Lazarus. He knew he was about to raise him from the dead and everything was going to be joyful again. He knew this. And yet... He wept with them sincerely. Jesus can see the big picture when we can't. He can see all the reasonings behind your sufferings when you can't. If anyone could ever say, just move on, it's not a big deal, it's under control, Jesus could, but he doesn't. He shares in sorrows and he weeps with those who weeps. He's compassionate and patient. He cares deeply for you in all these aspects, even when it's hard. Jesus knows living centered upon him is hard. Jesus knows that we don't always understand. He knows that leading up to death is going to be fearful and he doesn't dismiss those concerns. He cares in the struggle. 
In verses 38 through 44, this is the last section, we see the concluding hope. Look in verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take, the stone, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. We've learned that your life is not ultimately about you, but about God's glory. We've learned that in Jesus' love for you, he'll always do what's best for you. Even if it leads to death. And even if it does, we've learned third that you do not need to fear death. For Jesus has power over it. And even in all that struggle and all the pain and all the misunderstanding and the heartache, Jesus cares deeply for you in all the aspects of life. And fifth, there's coming a day where you're going to see Jesus' glory in full. And it'll all be worth it. This is how the story ends. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And notice the emphasis in verse 40. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? That's the point. Not so much the resurrection. The resurrection just served as a tool to exalt the glory of Jesus. And exalting the glory of Jesus, people believed. Look at verse 41. So Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. This is a window into what it will be like for us one day. Jesus will call his church, church, come out, and we will. To be with him forever, like Lazarus, we will, we will walk out and we will, we will see the full glory of Christ. The struggle will be over, our joy will be full, God's glory will be seen. It will all be worth it. And the story ends rather abruptly right here. There's no details given about Lazarus being reunited with his sisters. There's no details about Oh my goodness, you just grazed from the dead. None of that. The point is, Jesus has raised a man. People have believed and God's glory was seen. Lazarus' illness was for the glory of God, like Jesus said. He became sick and died so Jesus could raise him from the dead. How do you feel about all the circumstances in your life being used for the glory of God? Will you trust that God is doing what's best for you? What is the purpose of life? To live to the glory of God. And once you grasp that, once that becomes your motivation, 
life unfolds and it begins to make sense. It's not easy, but it makes a lot more sense. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Father, thank you that your glory is your primary concern. And it's so good to us because that is what's best for us. Doesn't make life easy, Lord, but I, I, I pray that in all the pains and sufferings of life, we will, we will sense the presence of Christ caring deeply for us at every moment, weeping with those who weep, mourning with those who mourn. Give us grace to look with tear-filled eyes at the purposes of you and to face them with undaunting faith, trusting that you're good and you have our good in mind. Thank you for giving us life in Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of reflection. If you have never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, let today be to the day. Look at Jesus as the resurrection and the life. Say, Lord, I have, I have, I've blown it with my life. I've, I've made a wreck of it with my sin and my rebellion against you. But I believe that if, if by trusting in Christ today, I can be saved and live forever. Let that be the day. And if it's for you today, I'd love to hear about it. Right now and this time or after the service. I want to help you in walking with Christ. For others of you who have trusted in Christ, you're living in the salvation that he's given. For you, reflect upon refocusing your perspective. Ask the Lord to take the attention off yourself and to put it on him and to give you contentment and living for him. Whatever it is the Lord is leading in this time, let's be obedient to him right now. And then as Jason leads us, let's stand and worship with hearts full of joy to the resurrection and the life. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.